In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So we find ourselves a Sunday smack dab in the middle of the 18th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. And if you remember from uh, your Bible study classes and your studies, uh, Matthew's Gospel has five discourses in it. It begins with the Sermon on the Mount, of five, chapter 5, and then it progresses from there. And this ch chapter 18 is what's called the fourth discourse in Matthew's Gospel, the fourth discourse. The fifth one is coming up later in, this, uh, in our calendar year, and that's Matthew 25. But this one is about uh, the, the community of faith and how to behave with each other as the community of faith. And it's interesting enough that in this particular passage, the word church is being used. Of course, when Jesus is around, there is no church. So somebody much later on added the word church to it to make sure that the people who were gathered as a community of faith would have some instruction about what to do. When I first read this passage in anticipation of the sermon today, I thought that there had two, two reactions to it. My first one, and I read it, I said, oh my God, what are they talking about here? You know, gathering and bring the whole congregation up to judge somebody? Who's ever going to do something like that? Who's ever going to tolerate something like that? So that was my first reaction. I just dreaded this passage. And then my second one was well, another reaction, which I think most of us share with each other, which is about the fact that, oh my God, if you really look at it carefully, the Bible is giving us the permission to be judgmental. And I thought to myself, that fits me perfectly. <laughs> Some years ago, about 10 years ago, the bishop of the Diocese of Washington, Bishop Shane, called me up. And he said, Luis, we need a, uh, one more priest to serve on the, on the uh, ecclesiastical court of the Diocese of Washington. I had no idea what the ecclesiastical court was. So I said, well, Bishop Shane, uh, first of all, how many times does this thing meet? And he said, well, it doesn't meet unless clergy misbehave. Then you have to meet. So I thought to myself, great, I'd like to be part of a committee that doesn't have to meet. I love that. And then after that, I said, and what else? And he said, well, the difficult part is you have to pass judgment. And I thought to myself, perfect. No meetings, and I get to do what I do best in life, which is to pass judgment on other people. This passage initially makes you think that that's what it's about. But I'd like to tell you that, as I've said to this congregation a million times, I'll say it a million and one times today is this. Context in the Bible always determines content. Context determines content. And if you look at chapter 18 in its entirety, this particular discourse, the story immediately before this story, is the story of the good shepherd that has 99 sheep and there's only one that has gone away and he leaves the 99 sheep and goes following to follow the one that has left away. And next Sunday, the reading for Sunday will be the passage where Peter, talking to Jesus, says to him, how many times should we forgive? And Jesus responds, Peter says, seven times? And Jesus responds, not seven times, 77 times. So I suggest to you that this passage is not so much about passing judgment on people, but perhaps this passage is about how do we have personal accountability by the boundaries of the community rules with all of the grace and compassion that we can give towards each other. That it's a combination of the two things, and it's a combination for all of us to consider as members of the church and for all of us to consider individually as members of families. You notice that Jesus says when somebody, as always, Jesus, he puts the burden on the person who has been harmed, the person against whom the sin has come. It's their responsibility to approach the other person. And Jesus says if somebody has offended you, you go to that person, and you go to them directly. The Latin word is confrontare. 
and the words from which we get the word confront. And if you look at the, the, the full meaning of the word confrontare, all it means is to come face to face, to look at a person individually, to look at them face to face and confront them. And you and I both know that that's a very powerful time in our lives. I would suggest to you that the best friend that we, any of us have in our lives is the friend who is willing to risk the friendship for the sake of a friend. The one who is willing to tell us some truth about ourselves and risk the friendship for the sake of yourself. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about. I think Jesus says the first thing to do in a community of faith, the first thing to do is to go to the individual and confront them. Not the way that we talk about confronting, but just coming face to face and have the conversation about what you believe has been an offense. And he says, if that doesn't work, then bring a friend along. Bring a couple of friends along so that there will be some evidence that the conversation has taken place. This is true in the church. It's true in our own family lives, don't you think? My wife and I have two daughters, and they're very, very good daughters, but invariably, there's always a time when you have to confront your daughters about something as they're growing up. Whenever one of, one, of us, one of our daughters misbehaved, there was always a conversation between the two of us about who was going to confront them. And Lou, who's a more powerful one in, the, in our couple, would always say, it's your job to do that. So I would go and speak to one of our daughters, and I would say, I've got to speak to you about something that's happened. And then when we really wanted to confront them, the two of us would pile it on. And both of us would say to them, your mother and I want to speak to you about something. And they knew they were in deep water. You know, it's true in the church. The evidence, it's important to have two people gather together with a witness in order to make the sacrifice, the friendship for the sake of a friend, to tell the truth about something because the burden is on the person who has been offended. And then from there on, we find that uh, Jesus says, if that doesn't work, get the church together. Get the church together and you confront that individual. As many of you know, we have moved out of our offices right behind us. A parish house has been cleaned out. All of our offices have been cleaned out. So uh, during that process in August, when we're packing up to move to the new offices while the parish house is renovated, I, uh, so, you know, you're moving your books and you're going to put them in a box and so on and so forth. And uh, the problem with that was that you would pick a book and you say, oh, I haven't read this in a long time. So you would open it up. By the end of the day, you had one book in the, bo in the box. And I remember reading one that was about American church history, and I happened to part, be on the part about Jonathan Edwards, uh, the preacher of the 18th century. And in Jonathan Edwards' time, one of the things that I read was this. Think about this, because they did, well, I'll tell you where I get there. The women were on one side, the men had to sit on the other side. There was a pastoral prayer that started the service that was 20 minutes long, believe that or not, 20 minutes of a pastoral prayer. And the sermon was longer than the pastoral prayer. So it went on for 45 minutes to an hour. Every sermon was about 45 minutes to an hour. But the point of the story is this, that after all that happened, there was a period of censure in the service. Censure, C-E-N-S-U-R-E. And people were brought up before the congregation with something like this. Matilda, you have been participating in gossip this week. And they would be censured. Or Jonathan, You've been drinking this week, and there would be censure brought towards that person. Now, sometimes the censure, the act itself, 
was enough punishment. Sometimes there was something else they had to do, and sometimes they would be excommunicated. They would be kicked out of the body. That, of course, is what gives rise to the crucible. It's what gives rise to all of the excesses of the church, of kicking somebody out, to kick somebody out because of a censure. The Amish community still does it. I would suggest to you that if we take this passage alone, that's where we end up. But if you take this as a combination of what's before and what's after, what is the context to determine the content, then I would suggest to you that what Jesus is suggesting for the community of the faith, for all of us as we gather here, is this, that there has to be personal accountability according to the rules and the guidelines of the community of faith, while also having extraordinary compassion and extraordinary grace so that that person can be brought back into the community of faith. And if we're able to do that, then we become a better church, a more graceful church, a more forgiving church, a more open church. I would suggest to you, for your consideration is this, that Jesus would think that the relationship is more important than any issue that separates us. That the relationship is always much more important than the issue that separates us. Yesterday we had a wedding here at St. John's Church, and the wedding was between two men, and I had a chance to visit with one of the families, and one of the families, uh, one of the grooms, uh, uh, mother and grandmother were here, they're from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and they're members of the Church of God in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the Church of God, but the Church of God is a very conservative denomination. But the grandmother came up to me and said, I'm so glad that I came because my relationship with my grandson is so important that even though our church disagrees with what's happening here and I have to listen to what our church has to say, the relationship is so much more important than the issue that may separate us. She said, I couldn't live without my relationship with my grandson. And I commended her for that. On the other side was the other groom. No parents, no grandparents. They had allowed the issue to rupture the relationship. They had allowed the issue to rupture the bonds between parents and grandparents, son and grandson. And during the service, I felt for him. I grieved for him, and I said, now how does that relationship get, uh, get repaired? How can that relationship ever get repaired if in one of the high moments of life, you choose to be right as opposed to be in relationship. It's the same issue for all of us. There's a wonderful poem by the uh, poet Dana Goya, and it's, an, it's called, it's entitled Unsaid. You'd be well worth it, worth your time to go read it. It's a very short poem. It's called Unsaid. And here's how he concludes the poem, and he goes, What we concealed is always more than what we dare confide. Here's the line. Think of the letters we write our dead. And that's because we haven't taken the grace and the opportunity and the time to confront those people whom we love. Relationship always more important than the issues that divide us. And remember, the point of it is not to get retribution on somebody, but the point of it is to have reconciliation with somebody. It's the discourse on the way the faithful can gather 
and be the church. And it's an invitation for all of us to determine how we choose to live our lives, ultimately knowing that when two or three are gathered in God's name, confronting each other with the love of God, with the grace of God, with the forgiveness of God, telling the truth about each other, we are a better church, we are participating in the kingdom of God, and we can openly proclaim God's grace, God's forgiveness, and God's love. Amen.